again wish to greet each one here this morning in the worthy name of of Jesus Christ. We're here to worship him with counter-privilege to be here. I guess I'm not sure. I thought maybe I could sneak in here and get by without preaching, but I know what we do to ministers that come to our church. We ask them, and I appreciate it when they do, so I guess I felt like I should behave myself as I want others to behave. <laughs> wish the Lord's blessing on each one. I appreciate the, the Sunday school lesson this morning, the song he had mentioned, or channels, and I, I think that's something that we need to realize that we can't give something we don't have. And it's as we allow the presence of Christ in our life that it gives us a, a blessing that can be a blessing to other people. And I can also say that sometimes it's such little things can be so big. Um, sometimes just a few words of encouragement can be a, something that can turn a life around and from from a defeat to victory. And sometimes we we fail to to recognize the power you might say of of encouragement. That isn't necessarily, I guess, my thoughts. I Somebody asked me once, I went to another church, and they asked me if I was brave enough to come without making some preparations. And of course, as a minister, we feel like we should be prepared somewhat. And what I, what's came to my mind this morning is the words of Paul in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, 8, 9. Uh, when Paul said that I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. And this is, a, a, you might say, a testimony that, that Paul had, he, this is toward the end of his life, he was simply saying that he was prepared to go. And I think it's something that's so important in our life that we, that we are prepared. And there's several things we notice here. He's talking about the fight, a good fight. He's talking about the faith and finishing his course, and I, I, when we often, when we talk about fight, we, we think of guns and knives and so on, and, and I'm sure we're aware of the fact that the fight that Paul's talking about here is not that fight. Uh, it's not a matter of, you know, of a warfare of where it's that type of a thing, but he's talking about, a. a of giving of ourselves to go beyond, uh, you might say, just a natural life and drift, but he's simply saying there is 
if we're going to be a Christian, a victorious Christian, we're going to have to give ourselves to it. In Ephesians 6, I'm sure we're familiar with it, and where he says, put on the whole armor of God that he may be able to withstand the evil. And he goes on to give that army, that armor that we need to put on. And if we do not have that purpose in our heart, we can easily be swept aside. We have many trials and tests in the Christian life, but God gives us the what we need, the grace to to be victorious. He talks about a, a good fight. It's not a fight to destroy. It's a fight to build. And one of the things, I guess, when we... The reason we have that fight, I won't turn to Genesis chapter 3 necessarily at this time, but after the fall, after Adam and Eve disobeyed God and and... And the consequences was of a fallen man, but it was it was then in verse fifteen that that God gave a promise, and that promise is still there for each one of us today. He says, "I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed; it shall bruise thy head, speaking of the serpent, and thou shalt bruise." His heel, talking about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The I was a, I guess, as a boy and trying to understand some of the things of the Bible. It, it was always I, I just could not understand why did they crucify Christ? There was nothing that Jesus did that he deserved, and it was something that. I struggled with, but when, when we see what, what God is saying here, when he said he put enmity between the devil and between, between the kingdom of God, and enmity means hostility. And I believe as Christian people, we need to realize that there are two kingdoms. And that is why Paul was talking about a fight. There's, there's there's a struggle there's 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 something that we need to do to give ourselves to to the to Christ to you might say to have victory over over the devil we there's nobody here i don't believe and i i can say that for myself without the power of god we do not have the resources we need to overcome the the temptations of the devil and God has made it possible that we can live a victorious life. And that is what he's talking about when he's talking about, about Christ and Christ going to the cross. He's made, he's made it possible for us. And, and there's a, there's a sense in which we need to, I believe it's right that we every day thank God for the provisions we have in Christ. It's not something we just do at communion time, twice a year, but I believe every day we ought to thank God for the provisions we have in Christ. One of the favorite verses is in Galatians where he says, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. It separates Christianity from 
from that which is world, that which is um, against the will of God. And it is something that we we need to recognize. We we know that the Bible teaches about uh, tells us that when we fail God and we do not live in the will of God, that there is there is the reward. It's not a reward, but it's the punishment of of hell. And it's something that is very real. I sometimes have wondered why we never hear sermons about hell anymore. Uh, I haven't for years. It did, I guess, preach a sermon. I'm not necessarily, that's not my reasoning. That's not my message necessarily for this morning. But I do think it is right that we recognize that there is a hell. And it's a it's a place of punishment. And it is something that is real. And it's, 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 it's what God has made it possible for us that we can be delivered from. And as people, we, we often, we, we try to understand what is fair. And I think it's right. But when we're treated, we, we, when in, in our life, we, we want other people to be fair to us. But when we think of what was paid, the price that was paid so that we can, we, we can avoid being lost in hell. And when it comes to fairness, we, I would say that if God, if was really fair to us, there's probably none of us that would go to heaven. We'd all go to hell. Was it fair that Jesus Christ had to die for us? Not really. But he did it because he loved us. He did it because he wanted us. And I believe God made it possible so that we can be his children. God wants to to expand his his family. But we need to recognize that these two kingdoms will never be reconciled. The kingdom of God will never be reconciled with the kingdom of hell. And we are living in a time when when we have the the with the privilege of you might say the that we have the the blood of Christ to cleanse us when we repent of our sins we can we can be cleansed and made free we can be the children of God by the, the power of the blood and it is something that we cannot measure uh, in things of uh, that we work with we often measure things by how much it costs how much it weighs and I'll, I'll things like this, but when it comes to, to measuring, you might say, the, the, the value of the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ, we cannot, we cannot measure it in dollars and cents. The only measurement I know that comes close to making any sense is the difference between hell and heaven. And we can't understand that in our minds, I guess, is that can't comprehend the blessing of heaven and how great heaven can be. We, we know some things. We know it's a place of peace and rest and happiness. It's a, it's a perfect place, so to speak. It's something that, that, but we cannot really 
I don't think we can really fathom the greatness and, and all of it. And neither can we understand, you might say, the awfulness of hell. I do know I had a, a grandfather that was not very spiritual. I guess he wasn't being living in victory, but, and I don't know, it was before my time, but I, he had a vision of hell. And it made a difference in his life. I'm sure he didn't experience the realness, I might say, that being there, but that vision made him realize that it is, it is something that is very big, it is something that is, is serious. But here, Paul talks about having a good fight. Now this, this struggle, I believe this, uh, commitment we have to God that keeps us, you might say, in the will of God is is something that we we need to do. It's something we give. It's and it talks about, you know, the putting on the armor of God. And I believe one of the basic things is our is our faith in God and knowing that God is able to meet our needs and God does meet our needs as we come to him. But when it comes to to this battle, it is not something that is just the men's battle or the the sisters' battle. It is, I believe, for every Christian, whether we're young people here, whether we're aged, whatever it is, I believe it's is something that we need to give ourselves to, to accept the provisions that God has for us so that we can by his grace be victorious and and as i think think of the warfare or the the tools that god gives to us to win that battle um i guess i i find that tool in matthew chapter 22 where the this person came to jesus and asked him what is the great commandment and and Jesus answer to this um, to this Pharisee that was asking him that question in in, in Matthew chapter twenty two verse thirty you'll find this in verse thirty four through thirty forty Jesus answer to him was that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and the great commandment. On these, uh, and then the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then he says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And this brings in, I believe, into our, our, uh, life. It, it talks about the law and the prophets. It's not something that uh, can just be overlooked. We have different laws and, and life, and a lot of times we think of laws be, are something that restrict us, but it's not necessarily that way. I guess, you know, we have laws on the road that we drive on the certain side of the road. It's, it's something to to protect us. It's something to give direction and God has given us the law. And 
I guess maybe just for a moment, let's think of the law. Um, the word grace we do not find in the Bible until the first chapter of St. John. There we have the word grace, is, I think is there four times that Moses gave the law and Jesus Christ brought grace and truth. But I think sometimes we think of the law as something that is restricting. And But then Romans 7 says the law is good and it's it's perfect. It's, it's something that God has given to us. Let's, I, I believe we need to remember that the law that God has given us is perfect. Now, the laws that we make as men, sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we do things that, and I, I do think that every institution, the churches, they, they need some guidelines. It's something that we put in place to to help us to know where we are to and what we represent. I, I believe that uh, the standards in the church have their place to give us direction. It isn't the standards that save us. It is Jesus Christ that we're saved by. But there is there is a purpose, I believe. And, and But when we're talking about the law that God has given to us, we're, lock, we're looking at something that is perfect. It is for our good. It is because God is holy and God wants us to be holy. And the law that God has given to us is is a law that he has not taken away. There is, if we read and go back in Matthew chapter 5, he, he, you know, he talks about the fulfilling of the law when, when Jesus came. And it doesn't take away the holiness that God wants us to have, but it makes it possible that we can, um, that we can be victorious, that we can, that we can live a life that builds on the kingdom of God, that we can, that we can, we can live in victorious, but we know too that we, we fail sometimes, we are human and he's made it possible that we can, we can repent and come back to him. But let's remember that the law of God is, is for us and for our good. Turning to Romans chapter seven, maybe we look at, uh, is was written uh, I believe as we as we uh, look at uh, what Paul is saying here is something that is very needful for us in, in Romans chapter 7 in verse 12 it is wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good but if we read on here we see the struggle that that Paul had, uh, he said, that which I do I allow not, that which I do I, he was doing what, what he didn't want to do. There was, there was a struggle here in relation to the law. And, and I think as we, as we look at the law, there is, as we follow through with that, and, and in verse 24 of chapter 7 says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? from the body of this death. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. 
Going on to the next chapter, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. What we see here, and that is that there is a person that has come to our aid. It tells us in chapter 2 that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And then it goes on and says, what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in, in flesh for our sin, condemned sin in the flesh. What he is simply saying here, that this is the weakness of the law, that the law does not give us the power to overcome If the law did, we wouldn't need Jesus. But the first thing he introduced here to us is Jesus. We have the person, Jesus. So I think we can also say that if we don't have Jesus, we are not one of God's people. Having Christ as the person that we come to as the one that had made it possible that that we can be the children of God is something that we we need to always recognize that person Jesus but along with that there is there is also christian growth we notice here the word after uh different times he uses this word for what the law could not do and that was weak through the flesh and God sending his own son and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. But he, in the, in that chapter then he says, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh and they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. He's talking about two different paths here. He's talking about two different kingdoms again, so to speak. That we have here the, the, the Spirit of God. And what he is saying here, when he says after, he is saying that we are, might say disciples. We're, we're discipling. We are, we are growing. We are doing something to, to, you might say, we're going to live in victory. We're going to follow what God has given to us through His Spirit. But to be carnally minded is death, and but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We have, we have the two kingdoms here. This, I believe, is dealing with, again, that battle, that fight that, that Paul referred to, I have fought a good fight. We either give ourselves, you might say, to the flesh or the Spirit of God. And it is, it is a growing experience. It is something that we, we need to continue to do. And I think one of the failures we have sometimes, maybe, you know, let's say we're, you know, it's been probably close to 50, over 50 years that I've been a Christian and I have peace with God today. As far as I know, I am doing what God has called me to do. But sometimes we kind of, you might say, come into the to the place where we, we have a culture now. I, I know what's right, and so this is 
what I have done and this is why I am where I am. But what we do sometimes is we, we kind of come to the place where we feel that we've made it. But let's never come to that place that we feel that we are perfect. And what we tend to do then is we tend to judge other people by where I, <clears throat> where I am rather than looking at people. First of all, I think it's right that we, we, uh, as people, we look to God and we, by looking to God, we know our needs. We know what our needs are. And as we look to God, we recognize that we haven't we're not there. We're not perfect. We're still growing. There's still things that we need to grow in. And I, and I believe coming back to the, you know, the thought of the, the law and in Matthew chapter 22 of, of loving the Lord our God with all our, with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind. Can we honestly say that, and you might say as our people, the brothers and sisters as, or other people, I believe, do we love them? as he's called us to, can we say that our love today is perfect, that I cannot improve on it? And, and I, I don't think any of us would say that, yes, I have accomplished that, that my love, I don't think we can say that, honestly. We, what, we, what, we're, what we need to do is to keep going on. I think sometimes we, if we're not careful, we kind of build our, uh, maybe say our plateau, and we feel we have, Come to the end. We have not come to the end. We need to, we need to keep on going. The, the, the culture we have is not enough. The culture is good if it's right. And I'm not here to condemn the tradition, the culture, but let's remember that our love is not yet perfect. We can grow. I can say that for myself that I can, I need to grow. There's times that my love has has not been what it should have been. Am I growing in my relationship with God? And this is, I believe, what what he is telling us here in Romans chapter 7 and 8, and that is we have the law. It is good and it is holy. It is something that reminds us of what God wants for us, but the law in itself is not able to to save us. We have to come to Christ, and that's the only way that we can be victorious, and that's the only way we can keep the law. I'll, he talks about the law of the soul that sinneth, it shall die, and I guess as in life I think of that as you know, going on an airplane, we have the law of uh, aerodynamics, and we have the law of gravity. It's something that is a little hard for me to comprehend how in this plane that is full of people and tons you might say, of weight, have defied the law of gravity and it goes up in the air and brings you down safely. It's something that, it's a law that God has made for us. I talked to a pilot once, he was a retired pilot, but he made the statement that he says, if you don't keep the law of aerodynamics, you're dead. You have to keep that law in mind. But... What I see here is the law that God has given to us, the law of life, coming to Jesus Christ and, and humbling ourselves before God. And when we do fail, that we are humble enough to 
to repent of our failure, that we can have the law of life. We, we over, you might say it, it overcomes the law of sin and death. We don't have to give ourselves to that law. We, we accept the law of life that we have in Jesus Christ and that is, that is what brings us to the place that we are. <coughs> Excuse me. When I think of our life here and our, and the fight that we have, we might say the, the girl, I think of a illustration that was given. I'm not sure if you know John Risser. He's passed away now, but he was working with our church and an illustration he gave that I always appreciated was when he was an electrician, he said he went to work and, and when he opened his lunch pail that there was a note in his lunchbox. He had a young girl that wasn't quite in school yet, but she made a, she had a picture of a, a little house drawn here. It says kind of crude and the words, I love you. He said it was perfect. It was the best she could do at that time. But next year it wouldn't have been perfect if it wouldn't have been better. And I believe this is the way our Christian life is, that when we do the best we can do and we commit ourselves to God, I believe that God accepts us. But if we are willing to just be careless in our walk of life and follow the flesh, we do not have that blessing of God with us. There is that enmity between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the devil. And it says there's a great gulf, and Luke tells us there's a great gulf that is between the two. And and that's something that will be there. Is, uh, God has made it possible that we can live victorious lives. One of the things I guess I think is important is with... Uh, as we live our lives, and again, it was Paul's writing where he was talking about our conscience, and he, is, he was saying that our, uh, he had a conscience, and he said to exercise our conscience. Now, our conscience, I believe, is, is our actions and how we relate to and do we morally do we accept that the action is morally right or wrong? And I believe that God has given us our conscience. It's not the Bible, but it's what the Bible, I believe, as we read the Bible, is that which touches our heart to help us to know what is right, what is pleasing to God and what is not pleasing to God. And I, I realize that the conscience is not, you might say, the, the truth, the truth is in the Bible, but the conscience is what helps us to have convictions to do what is right. And I, I realize that sometimes people have a very, very sensitive conscience and, and they struggle sometimes wondering if, if they have done everything they should or not. But I do believe that our, uh, when Paul says that we need to exercise ourselves to have a conscience void of offense, and that is that we combine our, you might say, the truths that we have in the Bible with what we believe. We have, for example, the, I won't turn to the, to the, uh, 
the the parable of the sower when he put the seed in the ground. Some fell fell on wayside soil. Some fell on rocky soil. Some had had weeds and so on come up. Not exact words, but there's different things. But what we see here, and we have then the good soil that had was productive. And if we go backwards then, we see what happens sometimes to what people, Christian people, allow to happen in their life. You know, they have good soil. They have, they have a good crop, so to speak. But then there's trials. You know, there's, there's a briars. There's, there's sometimes there's, there's things that come up that, that you might say is a test for us. Something that may be very difficult. And their response is wrong. Their choice has been made wrong. Sometimes it's, you know, turns into bitterness. And because of that, it's something that it continues to grow in our response. It's a little like, you know, let's say if I was at some place and I, I got cut in the saw, maybe I was harmed in some way and, and they bandage it up and, you know, and I, I show everybody this happened and this happened because of, you might say this, this saw wasn't taken care of right and, and, and this, this kind of keeps growing. Maybe even my, my hand might, where the wound was might even maybe get infected and I, and finally, you know, I have to get rid of my hand because I let that infection grow. But it always goes back to this thing, well, this, you know, I blame this thing back here. When it really was my response to it, my, the bitterness that I wasn't willing to overcome, it is the lack of forgiveness in my heart has put me in a place that I can't think right. Bitterness has taken many people from the way of the the spirit to the way of the flesh. It is not something that God has has called us to. And in in Matthew chapter sixteen, where he talks about the two, the one that had a, a was forgiven a debt that was impossible to pay, and then he turned around and and to one of his his people he had a small debt, but he would not forgive him and then he he goes on to say that he was turned over to the tormentors. I often looked at this scripture, I thought he was talking about this is being lost, and maybe the tormenting is in hell, but there is a torment that goes with unforgiveness in this life. It's not something that, you know, only affects us when we come to the end of this life. It is something that affects us in life. This is where Paul is saying, I have fought a good fight. Do I forgive? Do I, have I forgiven people or have I put myself in that prison of torture. And if we don't forgive, the Bible is very clear that it, it 
destroys our path. It destroys our our relationship with God. If we don't forgive, we cannot be forgiven and unforgive. And if we're not for, forgiven, we cannot have that relationship with God as it should be. And that's that's true in in more areas than just our forgiveness. It's true, I believe, in 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 much of life. Let's let's look to God when when there's a trial. And there's different trials, there's different, there's different things that God allows in our life sometimes that is very difficult. I have experienced some myself. You wonder where, you sometimes wonder where is the light? Where, where, how, where should we, what should we do? But I can, I'm thankful to God that there is a way that He has made it possible that we can be his children. That we can we can be where he has called us to be. He, we can we can we can by the work of Christ we can have victory in our Christian life. There's nothing that has come to me that cannot be overcome by the grace of God. And that's where we, I guess, when we come to grace, there is something that is real to us. Uh, I mentioned before that we don't have the word grace in the Bible until First John, but in the in the epistles of Paul, we find the word over and over again. And it is something that we need. We in Ephesians it tells us by grace are you saved by the by faith through through Christ, and it's not of works. This is not quite exactly uh, quoted right, but it is something that God has done to us that is that is, uh, so to speak, it is the grace of God that makes it possible. It is it is a you might say it's a, it's a gift from God that that gives us you might say. Helps us to understand and to to live what God has called us to, and and coming back, uh, grace is something God has done to us or has given to us that we have. It's a it's a free gift. It tells us in in Romans, it's not something we had to pay for. It's not something we can earn. But then there are things that God has called us to that we have to do. We cannot make grace. I cannot make grace. I can accept the grace. And a gift is only a gift as I receive it. The grace is there. It is my responsibility to reach out and to accept it. It's there. There's nothing that has come to us that the grace of God isn't sufficient. For example, I'd mention, uh, sometimes there's, there's a, uh, there's faults or there's, there's maybe somebody says something that's very unkind and maybe even untrue about you. There's, there's an offense that has been difficult and the grace of God is sufficient for that. We, we read that in, in Hebrews and maybe it's, it's a bigger offense and the grace of God is, is, it will always cover that. I remember a message one time where a person wrote a, had a square on the 
on the blackboard, and this is a small offense, and the next square was bigger and bigger. And then he had a circle around it, and that was the grace of God. And I believe God will be there to meet that need as we as we give ourselves to it. But the grace is something that God has made available. But if we don't reach, accept it, we are, we, we're not going to be victorious. But going back to, you know, let's say Matthew 5, we have the Beatitudes. And that is something that God has told us to do. It's my responsibility. It's not something that God will do for me. It is something that God has said that I need to do. We have the beatitude of humility, the beatitude of repentance, the beatitude of meekness. And as we look at those beatitudes, there's a, I, I believe there's a stair steps there, so to, so to speak, that what is humility? Uh, what is God calling us to? First he says, blessed. Now, I have, I have said that the word grace is not in the Bible, uh, until we get into John, but when we look at blessed and, and grace, we're looking at something that is, is very similar. Uh, sometimes we, we look at the Beatitudes and it says blessed and we think of happiness. But it's something that is deeper than just happiness. It's when, it's when God gives to us of His, you might say, of His person to help us to understand God. Like, and blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's talking about humility. James tells us, humble yourselves. In Ephesians, it says that God gave grace. And what is he saying when he's, I, I, I struggled with this at times because some say it's a vapor that when we look at it, it just disappears and is something that we cannot really control. And, and then here in James, he says that it is something that we do. Humble yourself. Be clothed with humility. Humble yourselves and and then we often compare things with, with, uh, we compare things with, you might say, the negative or the positive. And for example, you know, pride is when we have an exalted feeling of our, opinion of ourselves and, and humility is when we, when we, you might say, make a nothing out of ourselves. And I have a problem accepting that. Uh, because in the Bible it makes it clear to us that every person is valuable to God. We don't make a nothing of ourselves. God does not think you're a nothing. I believe that every every person, every Christian, every person, God God wants, God loves, and and I have come to the conclusion that humility is when we magnify God. It's not when we make a nothing out of ourselves, but it's when we magnify God. We do what brings glory to God. And and when we do that, our flesh, you might say, is we sense our dependence on God. We, we sense that 
We need God. We need the grace of God. We need God's provision. We cannot do without it. That's humility. It's bringing grace to God. It's not saying I'm a nothing. And don't feel like you're a nothing. God has a will for every person that is here. Accept that. And let's do what God has called. Then he goes to repentance. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And this, I believe, humility is what brings us to repentance. When we see God, when we, we don't compare ourselves with, with other people, but we compare ourselves in relation to God. And we have that in Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah seeing the holiness of God and seraphims were crying, holy, holy, holy. He said the whole building was filled with the presence of God. And Isaiah said, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. It is that presence with God, it is that understanding of of the holiness of God that brings us to the place where we... And I, I believe that's a message in itself, but it takes humility for repentance. And then we have the next beatitude is meekness. And meekness is... There's another word I think we sometimes uh, have a difficulty with. I've asked people what is meekness, and and I, I hear the word humility a lot of times, and, and it's not entirely wrong, because I believe that without humility, we don't have repentance, and without repentance, we don't have meekness. There is a stair steps here. There is Humility, and these are things that God has called me to do. These are things that God has called us to do. This is something he will not do for us. He will not repent for us. He may bring situations to help us understand our need of repentance and so on. But repentance is is, is a choice that I make. And, and again, let's remember repentance is more than just being saying, I'm sorry for sin. I guess just... Uh, you know, Judas, for example, after he betrayed Christ with a, a kiss, and it says that he, when he seen that he was condemned, that he he repented himself, and he went back and he gave the money back, which is good. That's part of repentance, and he he told them that he betrayed innocent blood. I believe that that was right, but the one thing he did that you might say destroyed the whole thing, and that is he didn't turn back to God. Repentance is coming back to God and accepting the provisions that God had for us. And meekness is when we accept God's will without, without restricting, without, you might say, without giving ourselves to God. When we, when we, uh, when we're meek, we're like Isaiah after Isaiah's allowed the coal to cleanse his lips, there was this voice that said, who will go for me? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And I, I believe I, I won't go on with this, but as we, as we think of the Beatitudes, those are, those are things, if we want to receive out of the Bible what God has for us that we need to have. It goes on to, to hungering and thirsting after righteousness. If we don't recognize, if we're not humble, 
and recognize our need of the presence of God. I believe when it comes to our the battles we have here, we're not prepared for these battles. It's that humility that brings us to the place where we recognize our failure. And as we as we repent of our sins, it, it gives us it gives us victory, it gives us insight of what is the will of God and what isn't. It is that which not only affects our conscience, but it, it, it affects our conviction. And then it's important, too, that we're ready to do what God has called us to do, not just not just hang back, so to speak, but meekness is accepting God's will without resenting or without restriction. Let's Let's fight that fight of faith. Let's, as I guess as young people, as older ones, let's recognize that we continually need the provision that God has for us. We cannot do it alone. It is something that is bigger than we are, but it's something that it's made possible that we can be victorious. Let's pray.